Exhaustion Podcast presented by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we discuss issues of interest to the local, national, and international endurance communities. Thanks for listening. On tonight's installment, we have an interview with Carrie Smith, Dr. Carrie Smith. I know Carrie as a result of our both being members of the Atlanta Triathlon Club. Last year, I was in need of some physical therapy. Uh, I was injured, uh, and I looked up Carrie and asked her if I could come in and see her. I've, I've seen phys- several physical therapists throughout the course of my career, um, and she struck me even within the first couple of minutes of the first appointment as being someone who is very thoughtful, um, but also someone who is very skilled. Um, and I ended up having to go see her several more times throughout the course of the summer and fall last year. Um, and when I started doing the podcast, I asked her if she would come on. Um, as you're going to see from this interview, um, Carrie is very thoughtful and is very skilled. And is also very knowledgeable uh, in the way that the body works and in the way that, that, or the different methods that can be used in order to help the body work the way that it can. Um, I think her being interviewed now is particularly important because uh, the law in Georgia actually just recently changed last year in July of 2015 to allow people direct access to physical therapists. Um, Formerly, you had to be prescribed physical therapy by a doctor. Uh, You had to go see your general practitioner, you had to go see your orthopedist, whoever it was, and they had to determine that you were in need of physical therapy. And then they would say, now you got to go see physical therapy. So the very first thing that physical therapist would ask you for would be a prescription. Not anymore. Uh, Now, if you think that you're in need of physical therapy, uh, you can go see a physical therapist uh, for 21 days or for eight visits, whichever one comes first. Um, without any sort of, of reference from a doctor. Um, and that's a worthwhile thing because as we're going to discuss here with Carrie, uh, physical therapy is something that's really, really great for people who aren't even necessarily injured. Um, if you have some sort of recurrent issue or if you uh, feel as if you're not getting as much out of your body as you possibly could, it might be because there are some sort of inefficiencies in your kinetic chain. Um, and a physical therapist can look at the way that you move. They can lay their hands on you and can find some of your imbalances, and then can help prescribe things um, that you would do both with them um, and you would do on your own um, that could help remedy some of the imbalances or, or strength issues that you might have. And so direct access to, to physical therapists makes, I think, the conversation here with Carrie particularly relevant. Um, the only sticking point, if you will, to use what Carrie said to me, the pun that she used when she said to me, uh, the only issue uh, is if you want to have dry needling. Um, there's a little bit of a different thing there, but by all means, reach out to Carrie or another physical therapist if that's something that you think w- would in fact help you. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit more about dry needling during the interview as well. So without further ado, uh, let's take it to our interview here with Carrie Smith. So we have with us here tonight, Carrie Smith. Uh, Carrie, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, George. Uh, Carrie, I know you grew up in Ohio. You went to Ashland University. You played basketball there. And just a few minutes ago, I was asking about how you got into endurance sports from basketball. And the story was so good. I, I, I was hoping you'd tell it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I played uh, basketball at Ashland and I was good friends with a uh, point guard on our team. And you know, she was always going for you know, four, five, six, seven-mile runs after practice, and she'd done a marathon um, and, and done really well. She qualified for Boston. Um, hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, I think, um, I mean, I can I can out-sprint Sarah, like, all day up and down the floor. <laughs> so it's like I can, I can be her in something long. 
and it, she just kicked my butt. <laughs> it was so not true, and my, my introduction to endurance sports was very humbling and painful, but uh, I, I wouldn't change it. It was fun. But, but, but you, you clearly had a talent for it. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't have done terribly, right? And that, well, you know, the first, yeah, so the first marathon, actually, um, Brad and I ran together. Our, our longest training run was supposed to be 20 miles but we got really tired and got in the back of somebody's truck on the highway and yeah the first one was uh close to five hours and i you know at the end it was kind of funny because we were both laying on the ground brad threw up and there's this uh, tiny older lady there and she said she just ran a marathon and then she wanted to do 50 push-ups so we were laying on the ground watching her do 50 push-ups and <laughs> could barely move or walk. So it, it, it's improved a lot since then, for sure. Yeah, but, 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 but you stuck with it, though. So clearly there was something about it that was enjoyable, right? Yeah, you know, I think um, it was funny because I think had done that, and then the first triathlon actually was the, the next point guard who came in was a phenomenal swimmer, and I didn't I knew I couldn't swim well, but... Huh. You know, she had talked me into doing a triathlon. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll blame basketball friends for initiation to all these things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, once, you know, especially for for women, there's not a lot of competitive basketball leagues or things like that once you're done with college, um, mm-hmm. you know, unless you play professionally. And I just, you know, I did a few basketball tournaments and um, it was fun, but nobody trained for it. And then... Um, I just like the competitive competitiveness of the triathlons and, um, you know, just really, yeah, grew to love just the the training and the endurance side of it, too. But it, I feel like it didn't come easily. It, it took several years to kind of build up that part of it. Right, right. And so so today you're, you're a physical therapist. You got your doctor in physical therapy at Georgia State, but that was fairly recently that you got your doctor of physical therapy, right? It was the last couple of years? Yeah, I graduated in uh, 2014. Um, but prior to that, I know that you worked for Carmichael Training Systems for a little while. So, 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 at some point there along the way, you kind of went into working in the endurance sports world. Is that right? I did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had gone. You know, I finished my undergrad and kind of worked a lot of odd jobs. Um, just you know, didn't really quite know what, what I wanted to do with a career, and then. Um, went back to graduate school for um, exercise physiology. Um, And while I was there, they had an internship out at Carmichael. Um, I was like, you know, this this sounds really cool. I'd I'd already been training and racing um, a lot and, uh, you know, went out there for about six months. Um, And you learn from the other coaches. You you look up a lot of research and, you know, kind of get a lot of mentoring as you're beginning to coach. and, and that's how I got into the coaching side. I did that for about six six years before I went to PT school. Very good. Very good. Very cool. And then uh, why PT school? Why physical therapy school? What 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 inspired you about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I was interested in it earlier on, like um, during undergrad and then even when I went back to school um, for exercise physiology, I just I was interested in it, but just. I really like sports, so I I just kind of stayed in that that avenue. Um, So then, um, yeah, in 2010, my my husband Brad was, uh, you know, had a spinal cord injury in a bicycle accident. Um, So that really just, it it changed both of our lives, um, obviously, and 
dramatic way. And at, at one point during his rehab, we both, you know, were like, well, everything's changed for, for both of us. Um, and we both actually decided to go back to graduate school and change careers at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think for me, it was um, part, part of it was like job stability. It's, you know, just get, you can always find a job as a, as a PT um, where, where coaching was a little more, you know, dependent on athlete load and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, I think that, that was my first extensive experience with PT was just seeing the physical therapist at the Shepherd Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super impressed. And I thought, you know, this this is just a really cool career. You can, you, you make a pretty big difference in people's lives. Um, yeah. So I, I went into PT thinking that I would uh, end up in that kind of neuro rehab world. But um you know, kind of circle back around to where I was working with the outpatients and sports, and and that's where I am right now. Very good. So, so there, there's there's you mentioned like neuro PT and then sports PT and and, and that sort of thing. There's there's multiple strands of physical therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. Um, so you yeah, when you go into PT school, it's uh, a at least now you come out with a doctor of of physical therapy, and yeah, I think it's like all medical. Um, schooling, you get a very general background that would prepare you to go in any direction within the field after you're done. So some PTs work in a home health setting mm-hmm. where they go into people's homes when the people are, you know, unable to, to physically leave their home. Right. Um, they work in acute care hospitals, uh, inpatient rehab, you know, something like the Shepherd Center. Um, there's PTs who specialize in pediatrics, geriatrics, um, some of them do wound care, and, and then you have some who are more in an orthopedic setting like I am. Um, so it really just varies, and I think you just you get out of school and you kind of decide what path you want to go down. Very good. And for you, that path was it was always going to be some. You, you mentioned neuro, but but it, it doesn't feel like a big surprise that you ended up doing sports. At least it doesn't feel like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I mean it. <laughs> not not surprised with that. I think um, the thing I ended up really liking about um, that more outpatient orthopedic setting is that um, you know, there, there's some problem solving that you do. Um, so a patient might come in with a, a certain diagnosis, um, you know, an, an ankle sprain or maybe, maybe um, you know, some patellar uh, femoral pain, so some knee pain. And, and you know that, you know, they do have pain at the knee, but, um, you know, why that pain ended up there in the first place mm-hmm. um, is something that, you know, I strongly feel you have to pursue and try to find out to, to totally get the person better and to keep that pain from coming back for them. Right, right. And so so you're talking about actually analyzing the way their, their body moves entirely, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, for anybody, but especially for athletes, when you're you're putting a lot of stress on the body and, you know, really stressing the structure and the tissues. Um, you know, if, if something's not moving well or there's there's kind of a weak link in the system, um, mm-hmm. just for lack of better better term to call it right now, um, you know, the, the injury doesn't always happen at that area. Um, right. So you might have some decreased mobility in your, your trunk or your hips, but that that extra stress in the system actually ends up at the knee and that's, that's what starts to hurt. Yeah. Um, so you really do have to look at the person as a, a whole and look at their movement patterns to try to figure out, you know, what's, what's kind of the driving source behind all of their, 
their uh, pain. I gotcha. Actually, I, I kind of like the phrase, the weak link in the system. I, I think it's, I, I think it makes very vivid kind of what it is you're describing. I think it's good. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you're talking about people who are injured. Um, and I know I've, I've, I've had physical therapy with you before and it was following some injuries or it was addressing some injuries. Um, um, is that mostly what you do? Do you mostly deal with people who are injured or is there other things that physical therapists do as well? Yeah, so I would say primarily injuries, but also um, dealing with injury prevention too. So somebody who doesn't have um, a current pain necessarily can still still come in and um, you know go through a movement analysis and try to look for those those weak links mm-hmm. in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I guess the difference between the the two is if you know if somebody comes in to see me and they they have a current injury. Um, you know, first, first you kind of have to just respect what stage of injury they're in. If if they've come in and they, you know, really just had a bad ankle sprain in the last two days, and there's a lot of pain and swelling, you you have to make sure you address that. You know, get that acute inflammation um, and pain down before you can really look at anything else. Right. Um, but if somebody comes in, it's more of a a chronic condition, and it's you know maybe you get some uh, knee pain after. 10 miles of running, um, you know, there's, there, there, there very well can be some things going on soft tissue wise at the knee that needs to be addressed. But, you know, at, at that stage, you really have to start looking away from that site to, to figure out why that knee starts to hurt so long into the run. Um, right. Right. And, and, um, you know, so that, you know, there's, there's that side, I guess if you come in with an injury, um, you know, you have to deal with whatever stage that that injury is, at right now mm-hmm. um, but if you come in more for prevention and and really recommend this for people um, if they've ever had an injury in the past um, so one, one thing that does happen when you're when you have an injury um, you know your your brain detects that um, and it's, it's going to alter the way that you move to try to protect that area mm-hmm. so probably the easiest thing to visualize is you know you go and sprain your ankle you're you're going to walk with a limp at first um, and, and the brain is trying to, you know, protect that area so that you're not causing further damage. Right. So that's important at first, but one thing that happens is um, once that pain is on, soft tissue and everything is fine at the ankle, um, your brain doesn't always revert back to its normal movement patterns okay. that it had prior to the injury. Mm-hmm. So there can be some changes in, you know, we just call it changes in, in motor control where it, you might not pick up on it on your own, but, you know, maybe you've lost a little bit of hip strength on one side or lost some mobility or hip extension, um, and that, you know, that kind of becomes your weak link. Mm -hmm. So doing these prevention screens later on is trying to tease out those things that might have developed along the way if you've had a history of injury, Mm -hmm. um, and then address those so you don't get injured in the future. It's interesting The the I kind of feel like, and we, t- we talked about the very first installment of this episode about how common injuries are. And so, I mean, I dare say that, that most of us have been injured at some time and all of us know someone who has been injured. Um, and so it kind of makes me wonder, like when you look at a group of people, do you, are, are you kind of like, like Neo at the end of the matrix where you can kind of like see all of these things that the rest of us can't really see? Um, and you like you like see all these movement patterns that have been tweaked and changed because of injuries and 
and motor patterns that haven't returned back to the way they are? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I can see all of them because <laughs> you, there's there's always there's always more to learn, and you always yeah. you know kind of have to keep looking if you're not finding something. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I mean that's that's what I do all day is kind of watch people move, so mm-hmm. it, it does kind of carry over. So don't want anybody to be scared that I'm critiquing your movement. <laughs> Everybody's going to straighten up around you from now on. It's like, we better drop Carrie. Let's go away. But, I mean, I, I guess that what I was thinking, and I was going about it in a convoluted way, is to say that, that when you're in a group of people, do, do you ever kind of think or do you notice, I could really help that person run more efficiently or I, I could help them get over that hitch in their, in their, in their step. Um, not that you're constantly thinking it, but, but is that something that you kind of see in the groups where you are? Are, are there people that you look at and you're like, wow, I really wish that person would come see me. Yes. Sometimes I guess, um, you know, just kind of notice things going on and, um, I, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, I just kind of make, make note of things. Um, and just, you know, think of it in, in terms of like, Hey, what, you know what might be going on with that person, and mm-hmm. just trying to to make a guess like why why they move the way that they do, mm-hmm. um, you know, from afar <laughs> and without without um, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't go up to somebody and say like, oh, you know, I, I see this. I think you you have to come in and, and see me. Um, yeah. You know, I guess if, if somebody asked me about it, I you know I could tell them my opinion, and they can you know do with it what they want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to not, you know, not, it's hard to turn off that part of your brain, I guess, outside of work sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. And so, so when someone comes to see you, whether they're injured or whether they're just coming for, for uh, a screen, what'd you call the pre-assessment screening? What'd you call it? The, um, uh, just a, a really a, a, you know, if it's coming in for more of a preventative thing, we'll do a, a dynamic movement. Assessment. Okay. So, so when somebody comes in for a dynamic movement assessment, or when they come in with an injury, um, but are there are there common things that you see, um, like weak hips or or something else like that, that that uh, common issues that athletes tend to have that has has either led to an injury or could potentially lead to an injury? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think the first the first thing with athletes is that, especially for endurance sports, we tend to see overuse injuries. Um, more often than like a trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in overuse injuries, or I guess you, you could also call it, um, I've wanted to start calling it an under, under recovery injury mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of like training too. You can, you can train as a lot, but if you're not getting that adequate recovery, then things tend to, you know, tend to break down over time. Right. Um, and in training, maybe your performance will decline, but for, for soft tissue, then you, you know, you tend to have the tissue break down and develop an injury there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one thing you see with athletes coming in is um, sometimes it's, it's just that training load. Um, they've, they've ramped up something too quickly or, you know, missed some workouts and tried to make, you know, make a week's worth up in a few days and, yep. you know, over the weekend. I'm um, familiar with athletes like doing that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done it. Um, I did it two weeks ago. <laughs> You know, but, um, yeah, so, you know, that, that component's there. And that's, you know, you always have to ask about that because that, that can be the primary factor. 
Um, it, it might be that they moved great, um, everything else was fine, but they just they just did too much too quickly without enough recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other other than that, I think, yeah, you tend to see um, kind of go from the feet up. Um, there'll be a little bit uh, decreased mobility through the big toe and through the ankle, especially in the to dorsiflexion, um, where you would, you know, bend your foot up towards your body. Um, a lot of us, I feel fortunate I don't have a, a desk job where I sit all day, but for people who do, they tend to lack some hip extension. And when that's happening, you know, they tend to also have some weakness in the glutes and um, the side of the hips that will, you know, change their gait and their running patterns a little bit. Um, yeah, and then just a lot of, uh, generally a lot of stiffness through upper back and some weakness in that area too. So, so given that um, the 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 dorsiflexion issue, the lack of hip extension, the glute weakness, the tightness in the back, all those things, given that one of our listeners actually asked Carolina, who's running the Boston Marathon on Monday, um, she uh, she asked about the uh, the top three exercises. Uh, given those various things that you see, what would be some of the the exercises that you think that generally speaking, athletes, endurance athletes, would probably be, benefit from doing? Yeah, top three. Um, so I, I think doing doing some things for core stability is, is a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be some things like, uh, you know, the bird dog exercise mm-hmm. um, where you're, you know, in a crawling position on your hands and knees and then you extend your opposite arm and opposite leg out. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the, the focus for that is trying to make sure that you keep your, your core tight and your back nice and level. Um, so it's not so much how how far you can reach with your limbs, it's more maintaining that stability while your limbs are moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's definitely that's definitely on the list. That's that's a good place to start. Okay. Um, and then there's there's a good bit of research where um, a lot of lower extremity <clears throat> um, injuries they'll find that the people also have some weakness in in their glutes. So not only at the back of the hips, like the glute max, but also um, glute medius, which controls your pelvis it controls kind of the side to side movement of your pelvis during running um and that one if you're you're not sure you can always pull up a a race photo of yourself running um so if you look at the picture and you see that for the foot that's on the ground if you look up at your hips and that hip is kind of hiked up higher than the leg the hip of the leg that's in the air then that's that's you know a sign that you might have some weakness in that area um, so one just really simple exercise for that can be, um, clamshells or just laying on your side and doing, um, a, a leg lift. Oh, you're killing um, me with clamshells, Carrie. I know. The clamshells are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was, I was, I was hesitant to ask you Carolina's question cause I was like, she's going to say clamshells and my I wife know, is going to hear it and I'm going to have to do clamshells. So <laughs> I hate clamshells. Yeah, and I, I, I think they might be more effective if you put on some leg warmers. Oh, you think so? Yeah, and I and I and I maybe do yeah. them outside where a lot of people can watch. Yeah, I'm sure that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so 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 clamshells from hell. Um, uh, yes, I like and, that. And yeah. and um, I was so I was so blown away by the clamshells. The first one you said was. What was the first exercise? Oh, uh, bird dog. 
Bird dogs, of course, yes. Uh, I just blocked it out. I forget if you said clamshells. Uh, so one more. Give us one more that you think is really good. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, a simple one. Um, just call it the, the shuffle walk. So mm-hmm. this is actually for, you know, trying to encourage some ankle dorsiflexion and then actually strengthening the anterior tip that, that does dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. So to do that, you're just you're standing, and you get in a little bit of a crouch position, like a mini squat. Mm-hmm. And then you just you pull your toes up and you walk on your heels. Um, so that you'll, you'll really feel that burning in the front of your shins, you know, after 30, 30, 60 seconds or so. Um, but it's nice because it gives you some strengthening in the front. And while that muscle on the front of your shin is contracting, it'll force the calves on the back to be inhibited and kind of lengthen out a little bit. Right. Um, right. so I, you know, I, I think that's a really good exercise for anybody who has some decreased dorsiflexion. Very good. And actually, so I, I've done that one with you before as well, and I can attest that, yes, it does burn after only a few steps. Um, uh, for, for, for anybody who's coming to uh, to the ITL track workout on Tuesday, we have Tuesday mornings, you know, and Carrie herself comes uh, from time to time as well. We'll do all three of these things next Tuesday so you can see what they're like. Um, and uh, so, you know, bring your leg warmer so we can do the uh, the clamshells from hell. Um <laughs> But uh, needs to be video. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, won't show up very much, and it's pretty dark when we get out there at five forty-five. But uh, but but nonetheless, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely give them a shot. Um, so very good. Um, so let's talk about so so you do a lot of those sort of strengthening exercises with people when they come in, and and I I know from my own experiences with you, you also give homework so that people go home and they do the, the their homework as well. Um, but I know that you also do a lot of therapeutic things like dry needling and cupping and and massage and all sorts of other things like that. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I, actually some of the ones you named, those, those are kind of the, the major ones I do. Um, so for treatment, um, do a lot of manual therapy, which is kind of that hands-on portion, and then some some type of exercise along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so do um, dry needling for, uh, you know, several different, like, soft tissue conditions. So sometimes it'll be for uh, muscular trigger points. Um, and those, you know, you can kind of feel them. If you, if you do any foam rolling and, you know, like if you're foam rolling your calves and you kind of feel some of these tight, tender spots, um, those, those might be some trigger points. Um, so a lot of times we'll, the dry needling will focus in on that area. But, you know, we'll also do it into um, scar tissue and tendons, too. Um so tendons, especially for like a, a tendinosis, um, you know, you'll get this, essentially it is scar tissue. It's just this like bunch of disorganized tissue within the tendon. Um, and it tends to not stretch well uh, without some type of mechanical disruption to it before stretching. Um, so we'll actually use the needle to uh, go right, right into that area. Um, and it helps the fibers actually line back up like the tissue around it so it's, it's really effective for that too mm-hmm. um kind of, i've actually been doing a lot more of the um cupping um the type i use are like little uh, suction cups really mm-hmm. um and i've actually found that to work pretty well for restoring motion especially recently um for athletes mm-hmm. so been doing it for um a- along with some active movements so the cupping is a little bit different from the needling, um, they're both going after uh, kind of a myofascial treatment where, you know, myo muscles, fascia is just the kind of the connective tissue that um, envelops that and then everything else in your body too. Um, 
but the caffeine, the idea for it is more that it's going to help separate out these layers of tissue within the body, and then having somebody contract and relax that muscle underneath it kind of helps the muscle to move away from the fascia. So if there's any adhesions in the area, that's actually been pretty effective to, to break those up too. Gotcha. So tell, speaking of, I want to ask you a follow-up question on the dry needling and then also on the cupping itself. The First about the dry needling, um, uh, one of the listeners, Lindsay, and also another listener, Stephanie, were both interested in dry needling um, as sort of a maintenance technique. I mean, you mentioned that it was a way that you could, could obviously work with trigger points and then also uh, going directly into tendons in order to help line up some of that uh, scattered tissue. Um, but just as a, as a, as a, like a maintenance technique, um, I mean, I know, I know that a lot of endurance athletes get, say, for example, massages every two to three weeks or something like that. And it's just sort of a standing part is dry needling something that, that people could also get on a, on a regular basis. And, 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 and that, that's one, that's, that's one question. The other question is, is how do you determine when you're going to use dry needling for a trigger point and when you're going to use something else? Um, yeah, so I think for, you know, the first part where whether or not you can use that for maintenance, um, I think it's something that can fall into that category. Um, you know, I, I think more my goal is when if somebody comes in for that treatment or another type of hands-on treatment um, is that, you know, the, the dry needling or whatever we use is kind of a, it's kind of just to jumpstart everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what I would hope is, if we dry needle your calves, we kind of, you know, break up some of those trigger points, get things moving better, get things feeling better. Um, and then I teach you some, some techniques to try to keep that, you know, keep that motion and, you know, that decreased pain. Um, but I think, you know, so that's, that's one part of the, the homework we want. But along with it, too, it's, it's kind of like when you're, you're trying to figure out, well, why, why is the knee or why is something anywhere injured in the first place? Um, so if you have one particular area that keeps getting tight and keeps getting tight, um, there's probably something further away right. um, that's, that's contributing to that. So kind of my, you know, my hope is with, <laughs> you know, restoring that motion there is that we also kind of hit on the thing that's, that's causing it, and then you address that and wouldn't have to come in for that, that type of treatment. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think the, the nature of our, our sport, um, things are going to tighten up. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, to go do a six-hour bike ride crouched over an arrow and not have something tighten up. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that it could be, you know, it could be used as, as a type of maintenance thing. Um, I think, you know, what I try to tell people is like, hey, let's, here here's, you know, maybe two or three movements that, you had trouble doing before dry needling afterwards you were able to do it much better um just kind of spot check those movements here and there and right. if you notice you start to lose mobility yeah, come back in we, we can do the treatment again or or if you find it loosens up really well with massage or another type of of hands-on treatment that's that's perfectly fine too um so i, I think just yeah the treatment can be there but i think just having that knowledge and education about your own body and what to look for and then you know you have a choice of, of how you're going to restore that motion is probably yeah. you know more important from my end so 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 it sounds kind of like like what you're suggesting is that that dry needling specifically is something that you would do say at the front end um but mm-hmm. then but then you would also try and work with the athlete to try and 
keep the issue that necessitated the dry needling from even coming back. Is that is that right yeah. to say? That- yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. That's that's my goal. <laughs> right. With it is kind of teach you these techniques, teach you things to look for, um, and then yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully at least not de- depend on it for for um, you know maintenance and things like that going forward. But you know, if you go through a big training cycle and it's it's tough to loosen things up on your own and the things that you typically like to do aren't working, then then absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we can do that. Gotcha. And then, and then cupping, I, I, I was having a conversation with somebody the cupping about cupping the other day because, you know, the new Michael Phelps commercial, the Under Armour commercial yeah. that everybody's watching, you know, it shows him getting cupped in there and, and, and they're doing that super hardcore cupping that leaves bruises on your body and stuff like that. And, and yeah. the sort of cupping that you do doesn't do that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that too? So I've seen that type done, um, you know, where they'll they'll put on usually like a glass cup and then, um, you know, use some type of device to, you know, vacuum the air out um, and create a seal there. Um, and then, you know, I've seen, I've seen it done where people will leave the cups, you know, stationary in a certain spot for 15, 20 minutes or longer. Um, and, I, you know, I guess I haven't been around enough to see the effectiveness of it. I, I know some people said that it worked really well for them um and i know it can leave those pretty big welts sometimes mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. um so the type i do is more um yeah you know well it, if we were doing some cupping on on your thighs and you know we put some gel in the area so there's some lubrication for the cup to move around um and then i just get some suction there and put it on the leg and then just kind of start to move it around until it feels some areas where there's some restrictions mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's sometimes it's really easy because you'll be sliding the cup around, and then you get to a tight spot, and it just kind of sticks there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to move it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, just kind of pretty much give it a little bit of a pull, a little bit of a stretch to the tissue underneath it, mm-hmm. and is it feel that loosen up? Then just kind of slide to the next spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely very different looking techniques. Um, you know, I've, I've seen it work work well um, in clinic with with me and some other people who do it in a similar fashion but I, I can't really i haven't seen the other type enough to really speak about that gotcha and then so so what are some other things i know i know you have your your cherished ninja star but I'm, i know that's not the actual name of it <laughs> yeah i do i love the ninja star um so it's, it's just a um a, you know instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization um so it's i guess its official name is a myofascial releaser um mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's really just like another way to go after, um, you know, some some adhesions and restrictions in the fascia to try to restore movement. Um, and I think those, you know, that and the cupping, you know, you'd ask, you know, when when do dry needle and when do use some other techniques? Um, you know, it, kinda, it depends. I, I think for the dry needling, if I'm, you know, if I'm kind of feeling through a muscle and I'm not finding you know, a few particular spots, you know, that I would call trigger points to try to dry needle in, um, then I'll tend to go with the, the cupping or the, um, the Ninja Star first. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems a little bit better um, for me right now, at least, at, at loosening up kind of a, a broad area. And then right. sometimes go back in and check it and like, oh, there's nothing for me to dry needle. Or sometimes it just seems to make the uh, the actual trigger points stick out a little bit more. Right, right. Um, 
that actually ma- actually really makes good sense. And 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 to me, it kind of sounds like it sounds like rather than somebody coming to you and saying, "Hey, I need to be dry needle because I have X and X issue," rather mm-hmm. they, they they should come to you and say, "I have this issue. Use your expertise to try and determine the best way of going about dealing with this issue." And and that may be dry needling. It may be myofascial release, aka Ninja Star. It may be cupping. It may be some other sort of manual manipulation. Is that? I mean, is is that sort of the the the, the, the better situation? You think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cause I think. Sorry about the dog. He's very passionate about dry needling. Outside, is our younger dog, and he is. He's just an attention hog, letting him outside now. Um, hey, yeah, he, I'm, I'm going to get your husband I, to come on the podcast some other time, and then we can have yet another uh, Smith <laughs> podcast with your dogs, if, 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 if that I, makes him feel better. I think, I mean, they're, they're the stars of the show, so <laughs> that would be awful. Very good, very good. Um, so, uh, so come in, see you. They would do, kind of take a look at it. Yeah, and, you know, I think... Um, yeah, and that's what I usually tell people too. Um, you know, it's like, well, let's let's see what we have in front of us, um, right? And you know, and sometimes it's, you know, we'll yeah, we'll use the technique that the person was asking for. Um, you know, sometimes if something else seems more appropriate, then we'll we'll go with that first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes it's you know it's like oh you know like I had a guy in the clinic a couple weeks ago who had a lot of um, abdominal abdominal pain. Um, so I wanted some work done there and we, we did some stuff the first couple sessions and it's like, you know, this, this doesn't seem to be making a change. Um, so we checked around a little bit more and actually all of his pain was coming from a, a great big trigger point in the middle of his back. Mm. Um, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're coming in and wanting treatment at the ankle, but we might end up treating, making them do clamshells, help the ankle Mm -hmm. clamshells. That's, you know, (laughs) when in doubt, just to do. (laughs) <laughs> what a terrible thing to say. Um, um, so, I, yeah, I, I, and I think that's actually a really good and important thing, um, just the the, the idea. Because I think a lot of people will, will read about or they'll hear about a particular type of treatment and they're like, oh, yeah, that's what I need to do in order to fix my whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. and rather, I think a better approach would be to come to somebody like you um, who – who has a wide range of techniques. I, I can attest from having spent time with you, and this is something that I bragged about you to other people too, is that, that you have a range of techniques and you're willing to try. You're willing to do a whole lot of different things. I, I, I never got the sense that you were wedded to, okay, we got to cut because cupping is the best. It's like, well, let's try this and let's try this and let's see what works. And and I, I think, I kind of feel like in, in, in talking to you about it that the best way to do it is to come to you and say, you know what, you have a doctor of physical therapy. That took you several years to get. You know all the latest techniques and you've read the research. What do you think the best techniques are to, to go about fixing this issue? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, yeah. And, you know, I think the most important thing is with when you're using the techniques and, you know, what you should, you know, hope to see from whatever person you're working with is, you know, let's, let's check something before and after to see if we actually made a change. Because mm-hmm. um, I've, I've definitely done things before, and I'm like, you know what, I think this, this is really going to help. Um, so we do it. We we recheck whatever, if it's movement or pain level or whatever, um, and sometimes there's no change. I'm like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Let, let's try something else. Yeah. Um, 
so you know sometimes it can be several there could be several treatments that mm-hmm. will be as effective for that particular condition um but you, you know you just have to kind of check things as you're going to make sure that it's making progress and, and accomplishing what you want very good very good um, so this next question um i was i'm kind of thinking about and i, I don't want to make the conversation all about me by any stretch, but, but anybody who listens to the podcast or at least has listened to, to a couple of episodes of the podcast know that I've struggled with a particular injury over the course of the past little while related to bursitis in my, in my Achilles heel. And I know that you're familiar with this injury as well, because you and I have talked about it and worked on it a little bit too. And, um, so yesterday I, uh, went to the podiatrist. It's been 13 weeks since I had extra corporal shockwave therapy. Um, and, and, he uh, kind of looked at it, and we assessed the progress, and we talked about various things and stuff like that. Last time I went to him five weeks ago, he said, okay, you need to start doing some controlled stretching and trying to return some mobility to the area. Um, and then I, I had recently started sleeping in the boot again, so I got kind of a gentle stretch at night, sort of a gentle dorsiflexion stretch at night. Um, so now he is he's fitting me for for some orthotics and he's giving me in the meantime some heel lifts to go in my shoes in order to re- reduce the strain on my calf and on my Achilles when I'm walking. And to me there's something about that that feels kind of contradictory. Um that that on the one hand I'm trying to stretch and return mobility to my Achilles and to my calf and on the other hand I'm trying to isolate it so that I don't strain it too much. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah. so I, so the question that, that, that I'm, I'm getting to is, is, um, like how do those two things coexist? Um, and, and how do you know when to leave something alone and try not to stretch it and deal with it? Or, um, and, and how do you know when to, to actually stretch it and deal with it and, and do all the therapies? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a good question. Um, yeah, because I think for years, I mean, it, those are kind of two opposite things. And it's, I mean, it's hard to, to speculate on what, what somebody else's reasoning is. Um, but, you know, I do know, like, after, you know, after that treatment um, and, and just with everyday activities, your your muscles and your tendons and soft tissue tend to align themselves in the direction of the force that's going through them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for, for Achilles... Um, um, yeah, especially if there's some shortening, doing doing some stretching, getting, you know, even just some calf raises, some things that stretch that tissue in a healthy direction in the area would be really important. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Wolf's Law, right? To, what's that? that? That's Wolf's Law that, that you told me about before? Yes. All right. Yes, absolutely. Yep, tissue's going to line up in the direction of the, the stress that's placed through them. Okay. And for any any tendon, um, you know, they're they're incredibly strong at resisting tension. Um, and, you know, so if something pulls in a direct line with the fibers, the tendons are incredibly strong. But if you start to get these forces that are directed at a, at a diagonal or just, you know, some other direction that doesn't line up with the fibers, they, they aren't able to resist that as well. And that's when you start to get, you know, some little, little tears and injuries and scar tissue that's coming in and trying to, you know, repair those and, and give it strength, but scar tissue is nowhere near as strong as, as the uh, tendon itself. Right. Um, so there, there's that part, and then, um, you know, I think it's that's, that's just, you know, another example where you kind of got to look away from the Achilles itself. It's like, well, had some treatment there, kind of made some changes in the tissue. Why, 
what's going on elsewhere that might be preventing it from, you know, fully healing or fully, you know, getting back to its normal function. Carrie, you're going to tell me to do clamshells. Absolutely. I know where you're going with this. (laughs) What could be a more normal activity than clamshells? (laughs) 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 Yeah, so clamshells could be very appropriate. Um, So, yeah, you know, it just kind of depends what's going on up the chain, too. Um, So so those are something that really need to look at, um, you know, pretty thoroughly, I think. All right. Um, so you're an, an endurance athlete, as, as we alluded to and as we talked about at the beginning here. Um, uh, in addition to being a, a medical professional in the endurance athletic field, you're also an endurance athlete yourself. You're getting ready for Ironman Texas in a month, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's a little scary when you say it out loud. <laughs> Next month. How does that sound? Does that make it feel farther yeah. away? You're you're a but but you're you're also a, a an Ironman seventy point three World Championships qualifier. You'll be going to uh, to Australia in September, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good, very good. So so an accomplished athlete as well. Has your work as a physical therapist influenced your own athletic life? Are there are there things that you've learned um, from your your studies and your practice, and also even from your interaction with the athletes in your clinic um, that's made you a better or stronger competitor? Um, from that, so um, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess, um, I think the thing that's probably changed most, like pre pre coaching, pre being a physical therapist, and after, as far as you know, endurance sports are concerned, um, is just the you know I just enjoyed it before, but I think um, you know what what I take from the sport is kind of changed. Um, mm. So I guess before, I think I, I placed a lot of my, you know, even like my self-worth on how well I did in a race. So, you know, if I, I did well, then, you know, I was, was very happy about myself, which, you know, I think people should be, be proud of their accomplishments and the work that they put in. Um, but then on the, the flip side, if it wasn't a good race, you know, it's like, oh, man, I've been, been really lazy in training, didn't do this and this, and just kind of get pretty down about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think... Um, you know, after being in in a variety of settings, like as a, a student and, and sometimes with Brad and then um, just talking to people, um, you know, I guess it just gave me a better appreciation of what, you know, what was able to, you know, what I was able to do, you know, whether I, I did well or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes, and it's probably some of the more fulfilling things that get out of therapy is that, you know, sometimes you come in and, um, or a patient will come in and, you just kind of sense that they're they're wondering like, hey, is this is this injury the end? Um, yeah. You know, for some of the older people, they're like, you know, is this it? Like, is it all going downhill after this? Um, for athletes, it's like, well, you know, is this is this the end of my career? Is this the end of you know <laughs> the thing that I've enjoyed my whole life? Um, and you know, when you're able to to kind of to, to help that person um, get back to what they love to do, um, you know, that's uh, that's a good feeling for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it has kind of made me realize along the way how you know, you know how fragile that all all these things that we love to go do can be. Um, so it's you know, I still want to do well. I still, I mean, I'll, I'll not be happy if I have a, a bad race. Um, but it, it, you know, I don't feel like it, it plays into like my self worth as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now it's like you know, still appreciate it and enjoy the people. 
know, if the day is not going well, then I just find other things to focus on to still finish as fast as I can, but, you know, make sure that I'm enjoying the experience too. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Um, Carrie Smith, fantastic athlete. Carrie, uh, and fantastic physical therapist as well. Um, I want to give you an opportunity here at the very end, Carrie, to, to, I mentioned that I I, want to try and get Brad to come on to talk about his Paratri program, but do you want to say a quick word about that? Yeah, so Brad's been working hard. Um, he was able to get a grant from uh, USA Triathlon and some help from uh, the Atlanta Triathlon Club and the Shepherd Center. Um, and he is going to kind of be heading up, putting on a, a paratriathlon camp at the Shepherd Center at the end of July. Cool. Um, so, you know, one thing that really are hoping to do from this, um, you know, I think everybody's seen like Brad and John Pulliam and some of these other athletes who are injured, but have, you know, they're out racing and, you know, doing well. Um, but for, you know, every, every person you see doing that, um, you know, there's a lot of people at home who, who either feel like they can't do it or they just haven't had the opportunity to, to get out and enjoy some of those things. So, you know, the camp is open to anybody, but we're, we're really hoping to get some of those new people out there and just show them that, Hey, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can still do once you've been injured. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this huge community of of both, um, you know, able-bodied and disabled athletes who are out there to, to help you and support you and, um, you know, just have a good time with. Very cool. Yeah, lately a, a theme that's developed over the course of the last few episodes has been uh, trying to bring more people into endurance sports and, and to spread the, the good things about endurance sports to a wider array of people. And I think that Brad's work mm-hmm. is, is doing a lot of that, and I think that's great. Me too, man. Me too. So, so we'll we'll try and get him on here over the course of the past couple of we- or next couple of weeks. Um, well, Carrie, best of luck uh, next month. Long way, way, plenty of time to to finish getting ready for uh, for Ironman Texas. <laughs> I'll do all the clamshells and I'll be good. Yeah, yeah. damn right you will. Uh, clamshell, Carrie Smith. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> thanks for having me, George. It was fun. All right. So there you have our interview with Carrie Smith. Now, one other thing that I do want to add here at the tail end, and one other thing that she actually asked me to add, uh, is that uh, moves such as clamshells, which we talked about way more than I really wanted to talk about, um, clamshells can uh, be done incorrectly. And so it is very helpful to have uh, the watchful eye of a trained physical therapist help you with those movements uh, when you're first trying to learn them. Um, If you do, in fact, have uh, some inefficiencies or something going on in your kinetic chain that causes you to to, um, overcompensate uh, with some muscles um, and not use, for example, your glutes, um, clamshells can help fix that problem but when you lay down on your side to do a clamshell, you might just start using those compensating muscles once again. Um, Carrie actually mentioned to me via email that she's seen a lot of people say, "Oh, well, I'm going to, you know, really get my glutes firing and fix all these other issues that I have uh, lower down in my kinetic chain," um, and and then they do it wrong, um, and the clamshells end up having no effect. So. Um, 
Remember, like we said in the intro, uh, you can go see a physical therapist like Carrie now, according to Georgia law, without a prescription from a doctor. You just need to call them up and say, I want to come in. Um, they can quickly give you that initial assessment that she described, um, give you some some exercises to, to help with that. Um, they can bring you back up to seven more times over the course of the next 21 days uh, to make sure that you're doing the exercise right and those exercises are, in fact, addressing the needs that you have. So... Um, I very much am a believer in in uh, the sort of practice that Carrie does, uh, and I think it's something that that all of us would benefit from. So thanks for listening. Um, next week, quick preview of next week. Um, my wife and I just got back from Florida, where we just ran uh, the first Star Wars Dark Side half marathon and 10k uh, at Disney World. Over the course of the last several years, Disney has grown into um, a huge race provider in the Southeast. Um, but people come not only from the Southeast, all around the United States um, and around the world to run races either in Florida or in California as part of Run Disney. Um, and so my wife uh, and I are going to be talking a lot about uh, Run Disney as a movement inside the Disney Corporation um, and also talking a little bit about our experience this weekend um, and and the different experiences that other people have had and how they've changed those experiences at Disney World um, over the course of the past uh, 20 years or so since they first started doing the Disney World Marathon and Half Marathon in the 1990s. So make sure that you tune in for that. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Make sure to follow us online at Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast, and check out our show notes at mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com. Don't forget that we're on iTunes. Please go on there, review, and subscribe. Uh, Check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching, at ITL Coaching on Twitter on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance and of course online at itlcoaching.com my wife who again is joining us next week uh, is also a sponsor of the show Uh, you can find her her travel agent page uh, at facebook.com slash kctravelplannermev and you can drop her a line at kc that's k-a-c-i-e at u-g-a dot e-d-u she can travel plan around the world for you whether you're going to races or not Uh, be sure to drop her a line Thanks again.